Volume Two, Chapter Nine of Bungie Castle by Elizabeth Bonhoat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. From that time, Walter became more and more dissatisfied with his situation. He no longer contended with the Baron respecting the length of his stay, or refused to accompany him whenever he was requested to any public amusement or private party, but he became so restless and internally wretched that it became impossible to conceal entirely how much he was distressed. He wrote many letters to Rosaline. The following is a copy of that which he sent a few days after his being so fortunately saved by Albert from the diabolical plan laid to render him miserable during life, and at the same time would have made the innocent Rosaline as unhappy as himself. My ever dear and charming Rosaline, I cannot live much longer in this detestable place where the women are artful, the men base and designing. I am pointed at as being a fit dupe for vice to ensnare. My ignorance often leads me into error, and my own unsuspecting disposition exposes me to ridicule. If I must learn to be like the people with whom I often associate here, I shall grow in a little time so weary of existence that I shall only wish it preserved on your account. The immense distance between this place and the castle you inhabit renders it doubly detestable. It is a scene of bustle, confusion, and design. Its amusements are all frivolous and trifling. Its pleasures are joyless, unsocial, and unsatisfactory, and I a mere cipher, dull and alone, amidst a crowd of beings for whom I feel neither respect nor friendship. In fact, I am never more alone than when I am surrounded by hundreds of people, not one of whom cares for my happiness. I had rather be with you in one of the gloomiest dungeons of Bungie Castle than in the palace of our king, unless you were by my side. I have seen a great many young ladies that are called beauties, but I think none of them half so beautiful as my gentle Rosaline. Neither do they appear so good-humoured, nor is their dress so becoming, though they wear as many diamonds as you did on the fortunate morning you went to be married to my father. And would you think it— one of them actually endeavoured to draw me to marry her, though I repeatedly told her I could love no woman but you. I have neither spirits nor appetite, I can neither laugh nor sing, and if the baron had a mind to make me polite, if he wished me to acquire knowledge, if he be desirous I should become what he calls an useful member of society, he must no longer keep us separate. It is your company only that could give a charm to that of other people and if I could see you, I should love the world for your sake. I shall die, dear Rosaline, unless they permit me to come to you. Madeline, though she wept, was happy, and looked handsomer than ever, and Edwin, ah, how I envied your brother Edwin! He may be thankful he was not the son of a baron, compelled like me to go through the tiresome drudgery of unmeaning ceremonies, and all the disgusting and nonsensical forms which they tell me belong to a rank. I am sure rank would be more valuable and happier without them, and dignity far more pleasant to its possessors, if they could divest themselves of pride. Commend me cordially to your parents. Tell your sisters I love them as a brother, and make my respects to De Clavering De Willows and the honest Cambrian, to whom I hope one day to be of service. Sweet Rosaline, think of me, dream of me, and love no one but me. My father is very kind, very indulgent, and Albert is very good, for he will hear me talk of you for hours together, 
but neither the baron nor albert can guess at the sufferings they inflict on me by this tedious absence from you to whom i am indebted for life hope and happiness yours forever walter fitzosborne when the above-mentioned letter reached the hands of the dejected roseline it alarmed and distressed her it was however accompanied by one from the baron so sir philip had no longer any fears but his friend would succeed in procuring a pardon for the fugitives again the family of de morney were restored to their accustomed cheerfulness and their friends admitted as usual and though roseline shed some tears over the fond impassioned letter of walter they were tears of grateful tenderness and she took care that her sighs and unceasing regret for the absence of her lover should be concealed from those to whom they would have given pain Adeliza too was no longer under the pleasant necessity of concealing her love for the worthy de willows the heart of sir philip was softened by the trials he had encountered and all the parent was awakened in his soul he therefore consented to the union of his second daughter taking place as soon as her lover could command an income sufficient to maintain a wife and family and as he had many friends in power every one cherished hopes of his soon obtaining some distinguished preferment audrey who was still a great favourite with her young lady was now solely retained to attend her person and wholly at her command she considered herself therefore of some consequence and gave herself airs accordingly she did not choose to mix with the common class of servants truly a lady's maid's place was a place of too much extinction to permit any familiarity with inferiors no sooner did audrey see the family restored to their usual good humour than she herself became more lively and chatty than ever and all her fears of ghosts and hobgoblins were lost in her own self-importance and newly acquired dignity she afforded high entertainment not only to her fellow-servants but to all the rest of the family and to make her character appear more ridiculous her dress was as absurd as her sentiments whenever chance threw mrs audrey in their way it was become a matter of course to enter into conversation with her and the vain abigail was too proud of this flattering distinction not to make the most of it de clavering who was fond of the humorous laughed at the absurdities of audrey and took every opportunity of showing her off one day while he was sitting with roseline in the apartment to which walter had been removed when released from his dungeon audrey came abruptly into the room bringing in her arms the little dog frequently mentioned in the foregoing pages she laid him on the lap of his fond mistress and exclaimed there madam take the little wandering rascal i have been in a fine quandary about him and have had a blessed rambulation to find him and drag him from his low-bred vulgar companions to my thinks he is as great a rake as the king himself god bless his majesty but the young baron ought to have given him a better education than to keep company with his inferiors i am sure audrey said de clavering you are much indebted to the young rascal as you call him for the rambulation you complain of has given so fine a glow to your complexion so much animation to each expressive feature that i may die if i did not take you at first for a painted lady and had i met you in the passage i am afraid i should have been tempted to see whether those roses so fascinating and so blooming were borrowed or natural don't talk to me of hanimation or fascination cried audrey indignantly drawing herself up several inches higher 
I can assure you, Mr. Doctor, I don't choose to be consulted. I neither buys, borrows, nor covets roses. I neither wants to tempt or to be tempted by any one. But if I was by chance to captify a sweetheart, I dare say I should soon become pale enough, for I thinks love is as bad as a potticary's shop. I hope I have not offended you, Mrs. Audrey, said de Clavering, laughing. I only meant to be civil and pay the tribute due to the bloom I observed upon your countenance. Fended or not, replied Audrey, it little matters. Servants, some folks thinks, must not look like other people, and their blooms must be suspected, truly. However, as Father Anselm often says, God made up all. You might as well have been silent as to the matter of my looks. I don't want or wish gentlemen potticaries to ax me questions or trouble their heads about me. You would not have been half so angry with Camelford, said de Clavering, had he said ten times as much to you as I have done or had he kissed you as often as I once saw him when you ran to him under the mulberry-tree? I don't think she would, said Rosaline, smiling, for I know our friend Hugh is a great favorite with every female in the family. Very well, miss, replied Audrey, blushing as red as scarlet at the story of the mulberry-tree. You have a mind, I see, to join with the malicious doctor to dash and confound me. But I defy his satirical talons, I can assure you, miss, though Mr. Camelford is so cetious and merry, he never proffered to kiss me more than half a dozen times in his life. Take care how you reckon, Audrey, cried de Clavering humorously. Remember, I saw you under the mulberry tree. Well, what if you did? You might as well have said nothing about it, replied Audrey. I was frightened almost into hysterics by an ugly black cat jumping from a lilac bush and I ran to Mr. Camelfer without knowing what I did, and he was so civil and polite, God bless his good-humoured heart, one must have been a savage to quarrel with him for a civil kiss or two. He does not fleer or jeer people about their looks, or tells what he sees them doing. Neither Rosaline nor de Clavering could any longer refrain from laughing, and Camelford at that moment entering the room, Audrey was so much displeased, and in so great a hurry to be gone, that in running to the door she almost beat down her favourite. "'Fat in the name of court!' cried Hugh. "'What's the matter with the girl? She has as many freaks and fancies in her head as a mountain coat, and is as frolicsome, too.' "'You had better follow her and make your inquiries,' said de Clavering. "'I am satisfied the damsel would tell you what brought on her present disorder sooner than anybody else.' "'I am no doctor,' said Camelford. "'Therefore don't be playing any tricks upon me by sending me after the damsel, "'and pringing little Pertha's anger upon me, "'which may I tie in a titch, if I know how to bear.' "'Oh, if you are enlisted under petticoat government,' replied de Clavering, "'I give you up as incurable, a deserter from the thorny paths of glory, "'and foresee the sword will be changed into a distaff or a ploughshare.' luff cried camelford must not be abused it is the best stimulus to create ennoble actions the parent of polled achievements but of that same luff you know nothing there is no heart in your body and you are mortified to think you cannot find a nostrum to cure the disease in others you must therefore be caught in luff's snares in order to learn the nature of those dreadful tribulations it brings upon a man May I go to the devil in a high wind, if I had not as lief face a cannon's mouth as meet the fire of Pertha's bright eyes when they look indignantly upon me. 
don't talk so much of the devil hugh interrupted de clavering but request him to do you the favour of kicking about your brains a little till they return to a more useful station in your pericranium in my opinion you are in a fair way of becoming fist for the government under which you think yourself enlisted may the vengeance of all womankind fall upon you cried camelford may you be dragged about like a dancing pear to make sport may you lead asses in the dark regions of beelzebub for your blasphemies against woman and may but all his farther denunciations and wishes for vengeance on de clavering were now interrupted by a loud screaming soon the door was thrown open and in bounced audrey her cap on one side and her face as pale as ashes i have seen him she exclaimed with my own dear eyes his ghost or apparition whose ghost cried camelford where is it i will teach a ghost to frighten a pretty girl and try for to distract it the manner and appearance of audrey were such as served to confirm the suspicion in the mind of roseline and even de clavering till offended by the supposition of her being insane she called out in her usual peculiar style thank god some folks are no more a lunatic than other folks i have all my seven senses as perfect as ever i had in my life but christ jesus these are sad times when one is not allowed to believe in her own precious eyes down dropped his horse poor beast all in a foam and down tumbled the young baron arter him as dead as my dear great-grandmother who are you talking of cried roseline rising with the utmost emotion is the baron is walter is he dead he only died for a few minutes answered audrey and then he came to himself she had time for no more roseline heard the well-known step of her lover walter rushed into the room threw himself at her feet and the next instant caught her in his arms this moment cried he is that for which my heart has languished this is a reward for all my fatigue all my fears and anxieties look up smile upon me and say my sweet roseline that my return gives to you an almost equal pleasure as myself but first let me inform you that i have left london without the knowledge and permission of my father that roseline rejoiced to see her lover her eyes informed him but for a few minutes surprise and agitation kept her silent sir philip lady de morney and the whole family were soon assembled in the apartment to which walter had been directed by audrey the young baron it may be supposed found a cordial reception and it is not to be doubted but that he met with from the fair object of his affection was such as amply repaid him for his fatigue and in his own mind even for the risk he had hazarded of disobliging his father this step however was owing to a hint dropped by the baron that it would be agreeable and convenient to himself and necessary for many reasons to his son that they should prolong their stay in town for some weeks beyond what had been proposed or intended on their departure from the castle on this plan being opposed by walter the baron not only appeared displeased but resolute to carry his point a circumstance so distressing to his son rendered him equally determined not to submit to such arbitrary and in his opinion cruel authority therefore early the next morning he sat off without being attended by a servant or informing any one to what part of the globe he meant to go and the next day reached bungay castle in the manner before described sir philip de morney on learning these alarming circumstances from his daughter 
immediately sent off an express to inform the baron of his son's unexpected arrival and of his apprehensions that the step he had so unguardedly taken would bring his displeasure upon himself and the family whom he seriously assured him knew nothing of his intention walter in his conversations with roseline told her he found himself so disgusted with the customs and manners of the world and met with so few people in it to whom he could attach himself or for whom he felt either respect or affection that he determined no longer to be detained from her in whose care his happiness was entrusted and with whom alone he was satisfied it could rest secure and as you condescended he continued to love and attend to me when immured in a dungeon kindly smiled on me and endeavoured to instruct me when enveloped in ignorance and was my friend when i appeared to have no claims a solitary outcast from society i thought you would not be very much displeased if i forsook the world for you who gave up more much more for me and quitted its gayest and most cheerful scenes for the solitary gloom of a prison whatever i may still want of polish address and what fashionable people style politeness love and my gentle roseline can easily teach me from a world that i neither like nor approve i could learn but little while the chosen mistress of my heart may at her pleasure make me anything she wishes with her and for her amusement i may be sometimes tempted to live in a crowd without her the world itself is only a wide extended dungeon Rosaline, at hearing this impassioned language from lips which she was satisfied knew no guile, was too much gratified to express all she felt. She smiled on him through her tears, and in the softest language affection could dictate, gently chide him for being so impetuous as to run the risk of disobliging his father on her account, expressing a few timid apprehensions that the baron might be offended with her as being the innocent cause of his son's proving refractory to his wishes yet she could not help secretly rejoicing in the strength of his attachment on which all her happiness depended everything was done by the family to give this amiable and singular lover a reception not only suitable to his elevated rank but satisfactory to his feelings such an one as the sincerity of his regard for roseline demanded and deserved while the joy which appeared upon the animated countenances of the lovers convinced every one who saw them that they had fixed their hopes of felicity on a basis which the hand of death only could shake from its foundations walter in his moments of unreserve expressed his surprise dislike and contempt of many things persons and customs which he met with in the high circles to which he had been introduced and concluded with wishing that the baron could be prevailed upon to excuse his farther attendance adding it was his determined plan so far as it met the approbation of his beloved roseline to spend as much of his time as the nature of his situation would permit in the placid bosom of retirement in which he hoped to make himself as useful and worthy a member of the commonwealth as he should be if engaged in more bustling and busy scenes one would think said de clavering who happened to be present when this conversation occurred that the young baron had been educated by some of our wise and ancient philosophers and taught by their precepts was convinced by them that happiness was too timid and modest to be found in the confines of a court or the splendours of a ball-room it reminds me of enthymenes who speaking of the pleasures of solitude to a man of the world makes the following observations you are compelled to a continual restraint in your dress demeanour actions and words 
your festivals are so magnificent, and ours so mirthful, your pleasures so superficial and so transient, and ours so real and so constant. Have you ever in your rich apartments breathed an air so fresh as that which we respire in the verdant arbor? Or can your entertainments, sometimes so sumptuous, compare with the bowls of milk which we have just drawn, or those delicious fruits we have gathered with our hands? Ah, if happiness be only the health of the soul, must it not be found in those places where a just proportion ever reigns between our wants and our desires, where motion is constantly followed by rest, and where our affections are always accompanied by tranquillity, breathe a free air, and enjoy the splendor of heaven? From these kind comparisons we may judge which are the true riches that nature designed for men. Such were the opinions and sentiments of Enthymenes, and such I find are those of De Clavering, replied Walter, or he would not have retained and repeated them with so much facility and satisfaction. Were my fate united with that of Miss de Morney, and had I two such friends as De Clavering and Albert to direct my conduct and enlarge the small portion of knowledge I have yet been able to acquire, I should think myself the most fortunate as well as the happiest of mankind having already experienced a long series of oppression from the baneful arts and stratagems of ambition, I have learned to despise it, and in the glooming and trying hour of adversity have been taught that fortitude with humility and untainted honor can harmonize but can never degrade the most exalted stations, and, while they are the brightest jewels that could adorn a crown, they enrich and ennoble the lowest peasant, in a few days the baron, accompanied by Albert, arrived at the castle. The frown which appeared upon his brow at his first entrance was instantly dispersed when the trembling Rosaline sunk at his feet and entreated him to pardon the eccentric flight of her lover, of which, as she was the cause, if his displeasure continued, it would inflict equal distress upon herself as upon his son. To resist so fair a supplicant was not in the baron's power. He tenderly raised her from the ground, and the next morning embraced her lover. The utmost harmony and a general cheerfulness soon prevailed, and before the parties separated for the night, the baron candidly and generously acknowledged that at the same age and under the same circumstances as his son, he believed he should have acted as he had done. And upon the whole, said he, I was not very sorry when the obstinate sighing boy took himself away for I was grown weary of having to introduce and make such frequent apologies for so absent, lifeless, and refractory a being. What served to reconcile matters the sooner was, that Albert, after the sudden disappearance of his young lord, had informed his father of Mrs. C.'s infamous stratagem to draw him into a marriage with her artful and abandoned daughter. He was so much enraged at hearing the lengths to which these wretches had dared to go, that strict search was made after them but without effect. Walter, too, told Rosaline of the designs which had been formed to entrap him, and while she looked at him with increased delight, she secretly rejoiced that he had left a place which harbored a set of people who gloried to destroy the peace of their fellow-creatures. To make the happiness of the friendly party more perfectly complete, the baron informed Sir Philip and Lady de Morney that he hoped very soon to procure a pardon for Edwin and Madeline and to be able to restore them to their protection. Preparations for the marriage very soon began. 
the baron humorously observing that till his son was again deprived of his freedom there would be no knowing how to secure or what to do with him and declaring he should be very glad to delegate the care of him to one whom he had no doubt would supply his place much to the advantage of the charge he was ready and willing to give up every appendage that wealth could purchase rank require or youth and ambition wish to possess was liberally provided to grace the nuptials of walter fitzosborne and the happy roseline de morney ah how different were the feelings how delightful the prospects of the intended bride on this occasion to what they had been on a former one when she prepared with such agonizing terrors to give her hand to the baron yet though she could now think of approaching the altar without reluctance she could not entirely divest herself of those timid fears which every gentle and virtuous female must experience when she recollects the number of new duties upon which she is going to enter and that from the moment she becomes a wife her happiness no longer dependent on herself or parents rests only on the man to whom she has given her hand walter seemed to tread on air he was all vivacity and joy and appeared to have assumed a new character the world and everything belonging to it wore a different aspect all all was charming he wondered how he could ever have felt disgust or cherished discontent to his father he was attentive and affectionate to his friends cordial and complacent to his roseline all that an affectionate lover could or ought to be albert was almost as happy and joyous as his master the baron serene grateful and contented while sir philip and lady de morney who found their own consequence and comfort so much increased by this fortunate and splendid alliance united in blessing the hour which sent their intended son-in-law a prisoner to bungay castle End of chapter nine volume two